Hello, West Virginia craft beer lovers. I'm Charles Bachway, and welcome to another session of the West Virginia Beer Roads Roundtable. It's legislative season in West Virginia, and we recently had a major alcohol regulation bill introduced at the request of the governor of the administration. So to follow up on this, we're getting our legislative roundtable crew back together today. Let me introduce them now. First is Jeff McKay. Jeff is proprietor of the Summit Beer Station in Huntington, certainly one of the state's premier craft beer bars. And he's also beverage director for the Rails and Ales Craft Beer Festival in Huntington. And Jeff, welcome back to West Virginia Beer Roads Roundtable. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charles. Okay, next we've got Matt Kwasniewski. Matt is president and head of brewing for Big Timber Brewing Company in Elkins, West Virginia, which is certainly also it's one of West Virginia's premier and largest breweries. Matt, welcome back to the round table. Thank you, Charles. And Chuck Johnson is with us again. Chuck is a Charleston based attorney with Frost Brown Todd Law Firm. He's done uh, legislative advocacy work in uh, the area of beverage alcohol regulation. Chuck, welcome back. Happy to be here. And also we have uh, Rob Abston, uh, regular on the round table. Rob, welcome. How you doing? Good, good. You know, this piece of legislation, which we, which is called uh, Senate Bill 299, I believe, um, you know, it seems to take a number of the provisions that were kind of temporary. They were in the emergency regulations well, the, related to COVID pandemic that the governor put into effect last spring, I guess, and summer maybe. But now it puts these into law or it would put these into law, but it also does so much more, man. There's just like a menu of all kinds of things in here. And I don't know exactly where they all came from. You know, I'm really curious as to the origin of this bill. Uh, Jeff McHale, start asking you, uh, did this come out of the administration or was it you know, put together by some outside groups? Yeah, my, my understanding is that uh, the, the governor's office uh, reached out to leadership in, in both sides of the legislature and through that, the Hospitality Association, who also worked on the last few uh, executive orders that, that helped out bars and restaurants, uh, was involved in this. And, and my, uh, uh, my guess is that they wrote the lion's share of, of this bill. Uh, and uh, I was glad to see them involved again, uh, because we, we have certainly a shortage of, of <laughs> uh, associations and, and special interest groups to help us. Uh, Anyone else have uh, anything to add to that or any, any information on it? I, I do, um, not as to the origin, but the ideas, if you remember in the farm to bottle summit we had in December, I mean, this was the wet legislative wish list with the industry getting together and having ideas as a result of COVID, there was a lot of ideas shared and these ideas have now come to fruition with the, uh, the bill. So we're happy to see it. Well, to cover the significance of it, um, I'd like to kind of break it into some of the sections and topics that are kind of naturally flow together with, within it. It'd make more sense and probably easier for people to follow if we break it up into kind of con you know, congruent sections or whatever you want to call it. And I want to start with the part that uh, affects our on-premise licensees, which a lot of this bill certainly does. And uh, what we really, you know, known as our bars and restaurants and private clubs. And for this part, I want to start with Jeff McKay. So Jeff, give me your highlights on the bill as it affects bars and restaurants. I think that the, the overall theme for, for how they've, they've attempted to help bars and restaurants is to uh, kind of shave away some of the regressive policies that we've had to deal with over the years. 
uh, one of the more notable being uh, uh, complimentary samples of alcohol. Uh, and I, I think that's uh, one small thing that can impact your sales uh, immensely in that you can convince somebody to, to purchase a, a, a beverage or buy a growler simply from that, that taste, uh, which for the past several years has not been legal for whatever silly reason. Um, uh, beyond that, there are other, uh, uh, I guess, provisions in this bill that would allow for that temporary outdoor dining permit to be permanent. Uh, so uh, I had been working on, on that aspect of it, uh, unbeknownst to, to what the hospitality association was doing. And we were trying to leverage uh, uh, home rule to, to hopefully accomplish that. But th this, this bill will <laughs> go above and beyond and, and just automatically uh, uh, allow that permission. Um, uh, and related to that, uh, I've been in contact with some of the delegates involved uh, in that committee, and we're trying to expand that provision to allow cities and municipalities to decide how they enforce that, uh, so that it's not just some blanket uh, enforcement from, from Charleston. Uh, I mean, the needs of, of uh, uh, Huntington are much different than the needs of, of someplace like Ravenswood, uh, you know, so uh, I, I think that uh, that's one big thing that we have to leverage. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, uh, uh, there's also a provision that allows for a non-contiguous dining area, uh, which has been a huge hurdle for me in particular at, 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 at Summit because I don't have space for a contiguous uh, uh, sidewalk seating. Uh, so this would allow us possibly to be on the opposite side of the sidewalk, which they allowed us temporarily, but we're going to uh, refuse us permanently. Let me ask you this, uh, Jeff. If yeah, are, are the way is it way the is the way that it's written in there currently, uh, with the kind of amount of food or the any of that kind of stuff or how oh, yeah. food is that is that okay with you as a as a bar and restaurant owner? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so I, I'm pulling up some text chains here to go over what we've been discussing. Uh, within that committee. Um, one of the other, uh, uh, the, the food issue is something that needs to go entirely. And that, that does deal with uh, the, the, the home delivery uh, and the to-go sales of, of cocktails and liquor. They want a $15 uh, food purchase either to go or within the restaurant itself that you've already uh, consumed yourself. Uh, uh, nobody is going to <laughs> take advantage of that. Uh, I don't think. And, and if they do, they're going to find a workaround for it. And it uh, talks about the, uh, the fact that the liquor drinks and cocktails and wine has to be in a sealed container. How do you seal up? I mean, does it, is it clear to you how you would seal up a cocktail? Yeah, I think that that's simple. The, the, uh, uh, that I can't remember what the company is, but it's called a twisty crowler. Uh, we use it. Um, and it's a, a sealable crowler that has a uh, uh, some sort of oxygen absorbing liner on the inside that saves whatever beverage that, that's in it. Um, uh, and you can have a growler just like you do a beer growler or a wine growler. Yeah. No, we we're talking about a cocktail, though. You know, it's like yeah. a, an eight ounce drink. There's nothing wrong with have a, a, having a, a quart of Bloody Marys or something like that. Yeah. Well, this this bill would allow for for wine and cider growlers as well, so it's not even just uh, uh, right right bill containers exactly. of cocktails. Matt Kwasniewski, uh, let me bring you into this conversation. Uh, all the breweries have 
tap rooms pretty much. And uh, there are also restaurants and a lot of them have liquor licenses too and things like that. It, how, what's your all's reaction to those kind of uh, things that are that Jeff was just talking about? Um, I can't speak for everybody. The, the guild's been a little quiet. We've been talking about this issue, but I haven't gotten a lot of feedback. But I mean, as far as my opinion on the matter is that it's all this is good for us maybe not you know there's if you can sell craft cocktails well then you might not be buying a growler of beer but it's not going to make that big of a difference and um you know craft beer is created on bringing variety to the beer scene so i think variety and all alcohol like drinks is is good it's good for the state um definitely good for bars and restaurants which need more help than um than anybody right now about so i'd like to see that happen yeah because those those outdoor serving provisions would apply to uh breweries who are in cities and in downtown uh areas as well uh, so those kind of things I could see being positive. Uh, let me bring uh, Chuck Johnson in the conversation now. Uh, talk to me a little or tell about uh, what's going on in this bill with uh, transportation delivery of alcohol. Well, there's a couple of things. And, and first we've got two kinds of delivery. One is a direct shipment. And then the other is just a delivery, uh, you know, with a meal, for example. And what this bill does is it expands the delivery options. So that's, you know, the temporary things they did uh, during the pandemic are now being made permanent in some fashion. Delivery is gonna be allowed for wine and wine growlers. It's gonna be allowed for what they are calling a craft cocktail growler. Um, and it's also gonna be allowed for uh, beer and uh, beer growlers. Now. Beer and wine can be delivered in both cans, bottles, and growlers. So, you know, they're they're they've got the full array there. Now, I think what they're doing, they're doing this just for class A, and then they're adding the third-party delivery option into this. So um well, yeah, so what to explain third-party delivery, please. Yeah, so and, and let me just be real clear. Class A is when you have the on-premises consumption and they're allowing delivery from that. And then third party, we're allowing the folks that that get a license to deliver this uh, to uh, provide for delivery, like a Grubhub kind of delivery service with a meal. And uh, so that's expanding those options to the retail folks. It, it seems a lot like those kind of provisions were in several of the surrounding states uh, already. And it seems like maybe they've taken a lot of those kind of concepts, certainly that third party delivery and just kind of, you know, put it, stuck it in here too. Uh, the fees don't seem too bad on that third-party delivery to mean they're not so high that, you know, maybe you can't see people like, uh, you know, Uber and Lyft and Grubhubs and those people getting involved. It, it, what's your guys' read on that, Jeff? I think the fees aren't too high, but I think there is a $10 fee to register a vehicle. And so if you do a lot of this, it could add up. Uh, the other thing is there's only a a minimum allowance to pay the delivery person a fee is five bucks per delivery and and that may not work so there's some things that we need to work on 
Yeah, the, I, I think that there are, there are a few provisions uh, that are kind of needlessly regressive, uh, almost to the point of being punitive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the, the five dollar fee is a little ridiculous. The fifteen dollar food uh, requirements kind of silly. Um, and then there the, the, there are other aspects of this bill that that the paperwork is just burdensome too. Um, but I, I think the, the, the excuse the, uh, for, for those uh, uh, aspects of the bill is that many of the existing regressive permitting fees are gone in this bill. Uh, the, the wine basket delivery fee is gone and some of the other stuff is kind of uh, wrapped in that, uh, those class A licenses. Yeah, so I guess we'd sum it up. We'd say there's the good and bad in the bills. A lot of the concepts are certainly good. Maybe they're a little onerous mm -hmm. It's some of the red tape you have to go through. I certainly noticed a lot of, you know, that, but that's the way most of our alcohol laws are already, right? I mean, that's kind yeah. of- Yeah. Well, the, 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 the one thing that came to mind immediately when I read that bill was the, the, the ability to batch cocktails. And I thought to myself, finally, after all these years, we can finally batch cocktails in West Virginia. And I got to the section where they want you to have a lab analysis of the alcohol content of every batch cocktail. And I, I, how, how is a bar or restaurant going to get that done? Uh, That's not going to be possible. No. Yeah. Well, you have to follow the identical recipe every time. And then all of a sudden, the, the mixologists out there will not have that creativity. You got to just yeah. eat recipe in advance. I, I hope that they mix that aspect of it. And uh, my hope is that uh, that leads to uh, legalizing uh, uh, frozen drink machines and uh, similar batched cocktail uh, apparatus, I guess. <laughs> uh, there is something in the bill that deals with the serving apparatus for retail, yeah. and that that's in there. And there's some provision. It has, you know, regulations about it. But, yeah. but there's something in there for that. Before we leave this topic of uh, transportation and delivery, does it allow a, you know, a bottle shop, a liquor store, uh, a grocery store to deliver any of their products? No, and, and you wonder why. I think the, the reason is this, that we came out of the pandemic with those emergency rules that were designed to help those people that couldn't have people into their retail establishment and they needed a source of revenue and delivery. And that was the, the workaround. And now we're trying to make that permanent. In that case, class B wasn't as limited, so we don't see those provisions in this bill. Yeah, there's really nothing for class B. And frankly, it's probably just as important for class B to be able to ship a, or to deliver as class A, perhaps. It's not going right. to see a negative there. Yeah, and I know, uh, you know, in the current uh, laws, the transportation permit for beer, there's no charge for it. You, you know, for beer, people that get a transportation permit to, to move beer like trucks, uh, there's no charge. And yet when they put it on a little uber driver it's uh you know they charge them to get a license and and limit hey, like how I much said, they can be punitive. paid it's punitive <laughs> <laughs> well let's move over a little bit jeff i, I want to go up with over with you the fairs and festivals since you're uh intimately familiar with how to put one of those together and you get all you order all the beer for your festival in huntington uh how would uh this bill affect the ability of festivals to get beer uh, yeah, uh, everything we've been working on for the last five or six years in the legislature is finally in this uh, the temporary licensing. Uh, and, and let me let me preface this by, by saying that all of this is in there for for better or for worse. 
this is not everything's ideal, but um, a temporary license uh, uh, that we've been trying to, to get through the legislature for, for I don't know how long that's been shot down numerous times would allow us to, to uh, uh, essentially court breweries uh, to enter the market here in West Virginia uh, uh, and be able to hit the festival circuit for a certain amount of time and, and um, offer their product. Uh, meaning that we could have the uh, Ryan guys come in with a temporary permit and be able to, or Rob saying no. Ryan guys makes more than 25,000 barrels a year. Oh, well, that, okay, that's true. Uh, let, let's say uh, six cents. Say Jackie O's and uh, Athens. Yeah, Jackie O's. Jackie O's. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, and I think beyond that temporary uh, permit, there's also a provision for uh, beer sales at festivals. Is that correct? There is, but it's just on premises. So it's it's like you can have consume it at the festival, but not take it off. Okay. Yeah, that, that was my assumption. So um, there's also a provision, I think, in the this bill about home brewers or non-licensed brewers, they call them, uh, which would include a home brewer, I would think. Is that the way you read it? That they specifically say home brewer a couple of times. It says non-licensed brewers and home brewers, and then it's inconsistent the way it's through there. But yeah, it would allow, in theory, a West Virginia, and it has to be resident, a West Virginia resident home brewer. So it couldn't be a somebody from Ironton, Ohio couldn't get couldn't get the license. But if you're a West Virginia resident, and of course that's problematic due to you know the Constitution of the United States and things like that. But um, you could get a license, basically the same as an, an out-of-state non-resident brewer could for a festival. It's the same price. It's the same process. It's the same happen to have samples available for testing. It's pretty onerous, you know, but in, you, know, you could do it. But the way it's written is like every individual home brewer would have to kick in a $150 license, would have to have their, their list of what they're gonna have ready to go. They'd have to have samples available for testing. Um, but yeah, that, that, but you know, in theory, if, you know, Rails and Ales wants to have a homebrew section. Anybody that wants to, you know, cough up the money, go through the process, and uh, everything else would be able to then showcase their their beer, provided they meet everything else. So, it's a small step forward. It's got a whole bunch of baggage, you know, hanging off of it that doesn't need to be there. So maybe it's a good thought, but not workable the way it's written. Really, is what you're saying. I think absolutely. Yeah. So something like say that homebrew festival that Huntington ran for a couple of years back in the mm -hmm. mid mid uh, teens, that would not be feasible. That still would not work under this. Um, essentially, it, it it's like I said, it's a nice idea. It's not going to actually improve anything for anybody except for maybe a rich hobbyist who wants to go out there and show everybody how how awesome the brewer he or she is. Yeah. Rob, is the idea that you're going to test if you're a home brewer, want to to become a craft brewer, you're going to test your beer at a festival, or if you're an out-of-state brewer that's not licensed here, the same thing? Yeah, kind. Brewer? I mean, there are some people that want to do that, sure. But I mean, most home brewers I know really don't want to quit their jobs and become brewers because they're, they they realize, you know, they might have 10 or 15 years ago. Now that they see the people have actually gone and done that, that it's a really hard job. That doesn't, you know, you're, and the gold rush is kind of over. So, 
you know, I don't know many people that are willing to do that anymore. Now, now you get some people that are, um, but it's not as many as it used to be. Let's put it that way. Hey, Chuck, I want to get, before we get too far along, uh, move over and get away from the brewing and beer just a minute because this bill also covers provisions for wineries, cideries, this has a bunch of stuff in there, and, and even small distilleries, which are pretty significant in what it does. Uh, could you give us a couple of highlights of those things? Yeah, I, I, I'll try to be brief, but there are provisions for distilleries that allow for direct shipping. And what that would allow them to do is to directly ship to West Virginia residents that are over 21, and also to ship out of state, as long as that state has reciprocity and allows um, uh, that, that shipment to be shipped there. And there have to be maybe a license in that state as well, normally. So the direct shipment of liquor is a big thing. It's not been allowed before and it would allow also participation in some of the um, clubs that you can get wide access to liquor, it would allow the West Virginia distilleries to get exposure beyond West Virginia. And well, how, uh, how, let me ask you this, how they, one thing they were always wanting these small distilleries is that they'd like to be able to direct sell like breweries and wineries do. They want to direct sell to a private club, a restaurant, a bar, or what's, does it affect that? Does it allow well, that? That is not in this bill. There is a separate bill that would allow that to local retail from a distillery. That's a separate bill that's been filed and I can give you the bill number. No, that, that's fine. It's fine, yeah. we don't need a number. And uh, so that's not allowed in this bill. Um, and then wineries. Yeah, uh, wineries and cideries. Uh, I know there's a bunch in there. Yeah, they can now have uh, uh, off-premises sale of wine growlers and um, they have all, already always had the ability to direct ship. So that's preserved and that's sort of the model for the other shipments. There's no direct shipment for beer, but they do. Uh, there is expanded uh, delivery for beer from the retail establishments and third parties. That's helpful to the beer. Now, it also looks like this bill just pretty much took this the the bill that passed last year on cideries, which restructured the way they're taxed and organized and their license, it seems like it took that bill, which the governor vetoed, and just basically threw the provisions into this bill. Is that true or explain that? Well, it's, it's partially true. What they did is they pulled the hard cider bill into this, but they fixed the tax provisions that were possibly the reason for the veto. So they fixed how that is being taxed. And so now they define hard cider and allow uh, any farm winery to manufacture hard cider, but it's taxed differently. Instead of the leader tax, there is a, um, a, a hard cider tax. It does allow for the credit for the federal excise tax to be a credit against the West Virginia hard cider tax. It's more competitive with beer on the tax side. And uh, they also have some ability to promote the growth of um, you know, uh, cider apples and pears in West Virginia on the agricultural side. So it's a pretty progressive bill, but they fix the tax issues. Okay, does anyone else have a comment on the cideries and distilleries sections or parts? Um, one thing that they did provide and it's repeated multiple times is that now distilleries, wineries, cideries and breweries can all be operated by the same owners and 
from what I understand in the same location. So, um, which was something that uh, held back breweries from doing cider or vice versa. So uh, not that I think anybody was really pressing for that. Like they wanted to do it. It was something that we were always kind of curious just to do something for like, it'd be a good gluten-free um, option in the tap room or whatnot, but I couldn't put apples in my fermenter without making it 51% grain, so. They, they had a bill last year that some people thought it said that uh, breweries could manufacture, you know, could distill, but the ABCA interpreted that to not include the uh, brew pubs. And so that may be fixed here. I'm hoping it is. We might want to see what their interpretation is. Um, yeah, Matt, would you uh, cover a few things maybe that aren't in this bill, a couple provisions that some of the brewers would like to see? Yeah, um, I know that a lot of the breweries would definitely like to see direct shipment, whether it be in out of state only, but um, you know, the, the goal would be anywhere that allows it. Um, and that I know the wholesalers don't really like to see that, but it's, I mean, we're not gonna, I wouldn't think we would sell that much IPA direct shipment. It's just, it's not cost effective, eco-conscious. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's more, if you're looking for like specialty beers, I mean, I know like there's certain, we have 13, 14 distributors in West Virginia. We only distributed in West Virginia, but there's there's some distributors that they're not gonna pick up a case of uh, Imperial Stout just because it'll sit in a store somewhere if they can even find one to buy it. But you may be the one person and, you know, Clay County that wants to drink stout and you might, you know, buy four pack and be willing to pay the hefty direct ship fee, which, um, you know, it's like, I don't think, uh, you know, HelloFresh put grocery stores out of business. I don't, I don't think direct shipment's going to be a game changer as far as distributed or beer being distributed in the state but it could be a game changer for small breweries that might want to start up with that model of direct shipment. Um, uh, like uh, the former brewer at Jackio's, that's what he's doing in California now. And, and uh, I think somebody could make a living direct shipping, you know, 50 barrels of beer a year in West Virginia. Um, if that's what they, it'd be a lot of work, but if that's your passion, I think you should be allowed to do it. As a consumer, that sounds great. I could get, even though we got more people canning now, I could get beers I can't get without traveling. So I like the idea, but I know, like you said, the wholesalers might want to look at that. And I think that the distributors are making a pretty dangerous argument by saying that they're entitled to tell brewery how they can sell their beer. <laughs> I just, uh, for the life of me, I don't understand uh, why they would tell Matt, you cannot sell your product to somebody because we have the rights to it. Uh, I think it's, they, they got over wine shipment. They got over the growler bill. They can get over this too, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think a big thing is, is we, we've been, 
we've had a track record as a guild, as an industry to be reactionary to these bills. We haven't been really good about, you know, presenting a bill to the Senate. Um, and if, if we were to actually get the guild together, which it's been discussed a lot, but to get a bill drafted up, um, you know, take it to wholesalers union, get their okay on it instead of, you know, it hits the Senate floor and when it comes out of the dark on either side, everybody gets defensive, but we're all in the same industry. We all need each other to survive. So it, it'd be, it'd be nice to open up um, and, you know, promote more freedoms to make West Virginia a better place to start a brewery. And that would encourage growth on the economic side. And um, I think that would make, you know, the macro argument happy. But the other thing we were talking about uh, getting, uh, allowing wineries, distilleries and breweries to have the same license. So that's in this, that's good. Um, Matt, do you think it'd be a good compromise if we just allowed out-of-state direct shipment at first and see if that worked? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that'd be a great compromise. Because um, again, it's uh, you're going to have your local fans, but it's not... If somebody buys a four-pack or six-pack a night, I don't think they're going to be buying a direct shipment every night of that beer it's just it doesn't make any sense um on the economic side it's more of a treat uh so like i, I know we get people that like move away and they want our beer and it'd be nice to be able to send it to them um and there's like packaging when you look at it like distributors are good at what they do they they move beer it's just like there's food distributors it's you know the direct shipment food side of things like HelloFresh and um, Butcher Box and all those, it's, I don't think it's necessarily changed any brick and mortar establishment that much. Um, I think it's just gives people options, which people like having options. And, oh, I, I was just going to say, like, and I would hope that it, with the, the state would pass the in-state beer shipments. Cause again, I don't think it's gonna change that much. It'll just give you access to variety. I mean, I know we get stuck in our bubble here sometimes and like, I don't get out and get to try what's new and it'd be nice to get a box once a month or something. And it's not like, it's not gonna be a huge, but a, a huge dent as far as what's going on distribution but it would create more money for the state and uh, there's a whole bevy of new uh, private club licenses, but one of them is sort of a, an issue that we might want to talk about. We've got all these private tennis club uh, licenses and wedding barns and uh, private club bars now and restaurants and, and uh, caterer. You can have a private caterer club license, but the, they have something. And so those are expanding what you can do on the private club side. But there's something called a private manufacturer club, and that's for distilleries, mini distilleries, micro distilleries, wineries, farm wineries, breweries. You know, it just sort of lets people have a private club and have on-premises sales at their manufacturing facility. It well, sounds great. I think, Chuck, that's primarily for the 
the small distillers, they were not allowed in the code to have uh, a on-premise consumption. This changes that probably and allows them to have a private club because you could always, well, maybe wineries too, but you know, the brewery, brewery tap rooms could always get a private club license. Well, I shouldn't say always, but they do. Well, it, it sounds like it does expand it, like you said, Charles, but one of the things, one of the requirements is you have to have between one acre and 20 acres owned or leased with your facility. And so I'm just looking at that saying, who does that include? <laughs> yeah, when I, I was looking at that too, and it was like, um, I mean, we sell more beer than any brewery in state in state and we do it under an acre <laughs> so we're on like 0.77 acres so i don't know who that like i understand if you have a big complex but there's then there's there's several breweries i think that have more than an acre but um it, it seemed interesting and i think they still and i was looking at that as well and i don't know if there's really any difference between um that and a brew pub license without um i guess there's not a you don't have to designate which area is the brew pub and which area is the manufacturing facility just from what i what i looked over which they might still require well the big difference is you could sell wine and liquor too and have a full club but 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 now you I, can I, do that before too yeah, a brewery can have a separate private club, but it's not always on premises at the same spot. So that's another issue. So this is, you know. Yeah, I think those are good points you bring up that we need to, or those in the industry of all the different sections and parts need to review that very carefully because there can be unintended consequences from people that write bills that don't recognize what they're doing or what came before and why we don't want to do that. Or little things that are left out that should be there. Well, that brings up the point again that we all need to be reviewing this and looking at it. And I want to ask you guys to each of you to come up. I mean, are there some things that people can do like our craft beverage fans out here that are very interested in seeing some improvements in our law? What, what can people do? Jeff, why don't you start with what you think maybe some people could do to help or hinder? <laughs> Some of the oh, bad hinder too <laughs> hinder some of the bad stuff in i mean yeah well okay so uh, i've been preaching this for a long time is that uh, the consumers need to at the very least reach out to their local representatives uh and at the very most direct their their comments and questions to the abc uh i had a i had a call to action uh several months ago with my customers uh and had them call the ABC to tell them the, their frustrations from the consumer side. Uh, not, not my frustrations, but, but theirs. Uh, so uh, I, I think that, and I, I've spoke with a couple other delegates that uh, if we wanna gain traction, traction with things like this, we need to have kind of that people powered uh, uh, motivation behind it, uh, a la the, the way that medical marijuana was passed in West Virginia. So. I think that uh, uh, consumers need to have their voices uh, be known. 
Rob, do you, you've worked uh, on legislation up there as a citizen, uh, citizen in a sense lobbyist, but uh, you know, not a corporate lobbyist, in other words, just a citizen. What are you thinking on this? Yeah, you really need to contact your local reps. Um, honestly, my experience has been that uh, if you're not in somebody's district, if you can't vote for the person, they don't care what you think. As a rule, they don't care about you. If, if you're calling somebody up from Morgantown saying, hey, I'm, I'm in Charleston, I want you to vote, they don't, they don't care. But uh, your, your person in Charleston, your person in eight, you know, eight senatorial district, anything like that, if, if you're their actual constituent, they actually will pay attention to you. They might not vote your way, but they'll at least give you five minutes and let you let you vent or, or make your opinion. And you know, I'm gonna to say to everybody out there that's interested in home brewing, this is not a, the way the home brewing license is wrapped up in this. I, I'm not happy with it. And uh, you know, I think it probably should be at this point either opposed or greatly reworked. I'm gonna look at it and see if I can come up with some alternative language and maybe suggest to some people. Um, but as of right now, you know, contact your local man or woman uh, legislator. Mm -hmm. Chuck, I'm going to give you the final word on this uh, lobbying and what we can do as uh, citizens to help advance some of the good concepts here. Well, you know, we have a lot of new ideas that, frankly, I'm, I'm glad to see that are rolled out in the regulatory framework, you know, direct shipping. Uh, and and, and uh, delivery, having some parity, off-premises dining, uh, you know, expansion of the kind of uh, delivery and, and uh, you know, growlers for wine, growlers for uh, craft cocktails. And so we need to try to preserve the best parts of this bill and build upon it. I think it's really showing that the, uh, the folks in West Virginia are willing to innovate and, and uh, modernize our laws to make it more easy for the craft spirits industry. And so I think we just have to try to get as much of this passed as possible with some improvements and build on it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've uh, covered a little bit of everything in this in this bill and that's, that's in the bill. And it, it kind of, the weeds get tall in here. There's a ton of stuff in there and some things we didn't talk about tonight, but I think we hit the highlights and hopefully we'll have some more and maybe even on Brilliant Stream, hopefully we can, if some of, you guys put out some ideas on this. We'll report them and maybe come up with some positive things that we, you know, people can look to and and uh, call their legislators or write them to, you know, support certain types of provisions that we see as really good from this. I mean, Jeff, one last thing. Uh, you know, you've been working on some other stuff uh, legislatively. Is there something you'd like to report before we close on any other provisions that you're looking at again? Yeah, I, I think namely, uh, if we're going to wrap this uh, discussion up about this bill, that the traction that we're going to gain uh, uh, out of this is through House Bill 2025. Uh, so that that's uh, that's where this is going to go. Uh, the, the Senate Bill 299 is uh, basically that House bill. Uh, having said that, uh, I, I've been working with some delegates to get a, a few other provisions added. Uh, one big one is a self-serve on-premise license uh, that would allow for some of those automated tap rooms where you can go in and have your, your, your set 24 ounces of beer or whatever, and you can sample your, uh, to your heart's content. Um, the other major uh, uh, 
uh, addition that, that I want added and, and to the best of my knowledge will be added is uh, outdoor bars. Uh, uh, currently, you can only dispense beer. We are looking to add wine, cider, and liquor to outdoor bars as well. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's a huge step uh, uh, in the right direction if we're going to allow those additional outdoor dining permits that we need to follow suit with that and allow the, the bars uh, uh, or sort of, I guess, a, a structure outside to exist that you could sit at and drink at. Uh, other kind of minor things is just fine tuning a lot of the uh, uh, direct shipping uh, things we've talked about. And, and the last big thing that I want to accomplish is uh, allowing cities and municipalities to have the power to uh, govern their own property. Uh, basically. So allowing cities to decide how they want their sidewalks to look, uh, allowing cities to decide how businesses can use those sidewalks. So I don't think Charleston needs to uh, tell Huntington or Morgantown what to do with their own property. So uh, I hope that we can, we can get that, that added as well. Those are all excellent concepts. And I think it talking with the good provisions that we're talking about from this bill, as well as that kind of stuff. And what Matt mentioned for breweries, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of things that can help make West Virginia a more attractive place to do business in craft beverages and not only to manufacture, but to sell, whether it be on-premise or off-premise. And that's what we're looking for. And yeah, I agree completely. And I've been telling my customers the last couple of weeks that once they saw this bill, that we would without a doubt be one of the more progressive states in the country for, with alcohol. And I can't believe that I was even saying that, but it's true. Uh, if we pass this, we will rival the best uh, states in the, in the country for, for things like this. Jeff, I think it's definitely a surprise to see craft uh, cocktail growlers in the bill. So I agree with you and hopefully we can uh, innovate a little bit here. It's about time we, we modernize these things. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the close of this roundtable session. I want to thank Chuck Johnson, Jeff McKay, Matt Kwasniewski, Rob Abston, all for being on our roundtable again, the second one we've done on legislation and on issues. And uh, maybe we'll get to come back here later or after the session and talk about some positive things that got passed. We can only hope. So again, thank you guys for being on West Virginia Beer Roads today. Thank you. Thank you. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.